First of the companions that I will mention today is Hazrat Saib bin Usman radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. Hazrat Saib bin Usman belonged to the Banu Juma tribe and he was the son of Hazrat Usman bin Mazun radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. His mother's name was Khola bint Hakim and he accepted Islam at the very outset of it. Hazrat Saib bin Usman participated in the second migration towards Abyssinia along with his father and his uncle Hazrat Qudama. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, established a bond of brotherhood, i.e. Muakhat, between Hazrat Saib bin Usman anhu and Harsa bin Suraka Ansari after the migration to Medina. Hazrat Saib bin Usman anhu, is also mentioned among the companions who were appointed as the archers of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Hazrat Saib bin Usman anhu, participated in the battles of Badr, Uhud and Khandak, i.e. the Battle of the Ditch, and all other battles alongside the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, appointed Hazrat Saib bin Usman as the Amir of Medina during the Battle of Bawat. And regarding the Battle of Bawat, which took place in the Second Hijri, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib ta'ala anhu, has written that during the last days of Rabiul Awal or in the beginning of Rabiul Sani, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, once again received news of the Quraysh. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, took along a community of companions and set out himself. And he appointed Saib bin Usman bin Mazun 
as the Emir of Medina in his absence. However, the whereabouts of the Quraysh could not be ascertained, and upon reaching Bawad, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, returned. Bavad is the name of a mountain of the tribe of Johanna, located about 48 miles from Medina. Hazrat Sa'ib bin Usman anhu, participated in the Battle of Yamama, and the Battle of Yamama took place in 12 Hijri during the period of the Khilafat of Hazrat Abu Bakr anhu, during which Hazrat Sa'ib anhu was shot by an arrow, as a result of which he later passed away. He was just a little over the age of 30. The next companion to be mentioned is Hazrat Zamra bin Amr Juhni radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Hazrat Zamra radiallahu ta'ala anhu's father's name was Amr bin Adi and some also report his father's name as Bishr. Hazrat Zamra was a confederate of the tribe of Banu Tarif. However, according to some, he was a confederate of the tribe of Banu Saida, which was the tribe of Hazrat Saad bin Ubada. Confederate means that they had a mutual agreement to help each other should a need arise. Alama ibn Asir writes in Usdul Ghaba that this is not a contradiction because Banu Tarif was a branch of Banu Saida. Hazrat Zamra radiallahu ta'ala anhu participated in the battles of Badr and Uhud and was martyred during the battle of Uhud. The next companion to be mentioned is Hazrat Saad bin Suhail radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Hazrat Saad was from among the Ansar, i.e. the inhabitants of Medina, and some have reported his name as Sayyid bin Suhail. Hazrat Saad participated in the battles of Badr and Uhud. He also had a daughter whose name was Hosella, and this is all that is known about him. The next companion is Hazrat Saad bin Ubaid, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was a Badri companion. Hazrat Saad bin Ubaid, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, participated in all the battles alongside the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him including the battles of Badr, Uhud and Khandaq. His name has also been reported as Sayyid and he was known by the title of Qari and his epithet was Abu Zaid. Hazrat Saad bin Ubaid ta'ala anhu, is counted amongst those four companions from among the Ansar who collected the Holy Quran during the lifetime of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. His son, Umair bin Saad ruled over a part of Syria during the Khilafat of Hazrat Umar ta'ala anhu. According to one narration, Hazrat Saad bin Ubaid ta'ala anhu used to lead the prayers in the Quba Mosque during the lifetime of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. And he was also appointed to lead the prayers during the Khilafat of Hazrat Abu Bakr ta'ala anhu and also Hazrat Umar ta'ala anhu. Hazrat Saad bin Ubaid radiallahu ta'ala anhu was martyred during the Battle of Qadsiyah in 16 Hijri. And at the time of his martyrdom, he was 64 years of age. Abdurrahman bin Abu Layla narrates that during the Battle of Jisr, which took place in 13 Hijri, 
the Muslims were defeated and suffered a great loss and Hazrat Saad bin Ubaid radiallahu ta'ala anhu had to retreat from the battle. When he returned, Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said to Hazrat Saad bin Ubaid that do you wish to go for jihad in the land of Syria? For Muslims have been brutally attacked there and have suffered a great loss. And so, you may go there if you wish to. And also due to this bloodshed and the loss they have suffered, the enemy has become fearless over them. Hazrat Umar ta'ala anhu further said that perhaps you will be able to wash away the stain of humiliation that is left with you due to the defeat. This is because he had retreated from the battle of Jisr and the Muslims had suffered a great loss. Hence, Hazrat Umar ta'ala anhu said to him that if he wished to remove the stain of this humiliation and defeat, there was a battle taking place towards Syria as well. However, Hazrat Saad ta'ala anhu replied, that he will not go to any other land besides the land from where he had fled or returned unsuccessfully. Furthermore, he said, I will only go after the enemy who succeeded in what they set out to do against me. In other words, he referred to the enemy that had become victorious in the battle against him. Hence, Hazrat Saad bin Ubaid radiallahu ta'ala anhu returned to Qadziya and was martyred in combat. Abdul Rahman bin Abu Layla further relates, that Hazrat Saad bin Ubaid radiallahu ta'ala anhu addressed the people and said that we will fight the enemy tomorrow and we shall be martyred. Therefore you should neither wash the blood from our body and nor dress us in any other clothes for burial besides the clothes we are wearing. In one of the previous sermons I mentioned a brief account of the battle of Jisr. However, in relation to this I will share a few more details. As I have mentioned, the Battle of Jisr was fought in the 13th year after Hijrah on the bank of the Euphrates between Muslims and Iranians. The commander-in-chief of the Muslims was Hazrat Abu Ubaid Saqfi, whereas the commander-in-chief of the Iranians was Bahman Jadwiya. The number of the Muslim army was 10,000, whereas the Iranian army numbered 30,000 and they also had 300 elephants. And since the river Euphrates came in between both armies, fighting ceased between the two for some time. And this continued to the extent that a jisr, that is a bridge, was constructed over the Euphrates river, with both parties being in agreement over it. Due to this very bridge, it is called the Battle of Jisr. And once the bridge was completed, Bahman Jadawiya sent a message to Hazrat Abu Ubaid, saying, that will you cross the bridge and come to us? Or will you permit us to cross it? Hazrat Abu Ubaid was of the opinion that the Muslim army should cross the river and fight the opposing army. However, the leaders of the army, which included Hazrat Salit, were against this opinion. Nonetheless, Hazrat Abu Ubaid crossed the Euphrates River and attacked the Iranian army. This battle continued in this manner for a short period. And a little while later, Bahman Jadwiya saw his army scattered around and he saw that the Iranian army was retreating upon which he ordered the elephants to be moved to the front. As a result of the elephants moving to the front, the rows of the Muslims were broken and became disorganized. The Muslim army began to scatter to different places and Hazrat Abu Ubaid said to the Muslims that, O servants of Allah, attack the elephants and cut off their trunks. 
Having said this, Hazrat Abu Ubaid himself advanced and attacked an elephant and cut off its trunk. Upon seeing this, the remaining army also quickly began to fight. And they cut off the trunks and feet of several elephants and killed those that were riding on them. Coincidentally, Hazrat Abu Ubaid came face to face with an elephant and he struck his sword and cut off its trunk. However, he was trampled under its feet and was martyred. Following the martyrdom of Hazrat Abu Ubaid, seven men, one after the other, grabbed hold of the Islamic flag and each one was martyred during the battle. The eighth individual was Hazrat Musanna who grabbed hold of the Islamic flag and intended to make another valiant attack. However, the rows of the Muslim army were unorganized and having seen seven of their leaders being martyred one after the other, people began to disperse in different directions and some even jumped into the river. Hazrat Musanna and his companions continued to fight courageously and in the end, Hazrat Musanna was wounded and whilst continuing to battle against the enemy, he crossed the river and returned. And during this battle, Muslims suffered a great loss. 4,000 Muslim men were martyred, whereas 6,000 Iranian soldiers were killed. Nonetheless, this battle was fought as the Iranians launched continuous attacks against the Muslims, and in order to stop these attacks, permission was sought to fight. The next companion to be mentioned is Hazrat Sahal bin Atiq His name is also mentioned as Suhail and the name of his mother was Jamila bint Al-Qama. Hazrat Sahal bin Atiq participated in the second pledge at Aqaba along with 70 Ansar. He had the honour to participate in the battles of Badr and Uhud. The next companion to be mentioned is Hazrat Suhail bin Rafi'ah anhu. Hazrat Suhail bin Rafi'ah belonged to the tribe of Banu Najjar and the piece of land on which Masjid Nabwi, i.e. the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him's mosque was constructed was the property of his and his brother, Hazrat Sal. The name of his mother was Zuhaiba bin Taysal and Hazrat Suhail participated alongside the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, in all battles including the Battle of Badr, Uhud and Khandaq and he passed away during the Khilafat of Hazrat Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. In regards to the migration of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, to Medina, I will mention what Hazrat Muslim Aud radiallahu ta'ala anhu has written. Hazrat Muslim Aud radiallahu ta'ala anhu writes, While the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was in Medina, Everybody longed to have the honour of being his host. As his camel passed through a lane, families would line up to receive him. With one voice they would say, Here we are with our homes, our property and our lives to receive you and to offer our protection to you. O Prophet of Allah, come and live with us. Many would show greater zeal and go forward and hold the reins of the camel, and insist on the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, dismounting in front of their doors and entering their houses. Politely, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would refuse, saying, that leave my camel alone. Today she is under the command of God, and she will stop where God wants her to stop. Ultimately, he stopped on a site which belonged to the orphans of the Banu Najjar tribe, 
which was situated to one side of Medina. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, dismounted and said that it seems that this is where God wants us to stop. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, then made inquiries as to who was the owner of that plot of land, and it was discovered that the land belonged to a few orphans. A trustee of the orphans came forward and said that the property belonged to such and such orphans, and offered the site for the use of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, replied that he would not accept the offer unless he were allowed to pay. A price was then settled, and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, decided to build a mosque and some houses on it. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib has mentioned more details about this account in Seerat Khatamun Nabiyyin, i.e. the life and character of the seal of the Prophets. He writes, Upon arriving in Medina, the first task was the construction of masjid e The place where the camel of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, chose to rest was the property of two children from Medina named Sahal and Suhail, who lived in the guardianship of Hazrat Asad bin Zurara. This was a vacant land on which a few date palms had been planted in one area and in another area there were ruins etc. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, selected this plot to construct the masjid nabwi and his own living quarters. And this plot of land was purchased for 10 dinar and then the surface was levelled and cleared of trees after which the construction of masjid nabwi began. However, according to another narration, the payment for this piece of land was made by Hazrat Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. However, Hazrat Mizza Bashir Ahmed Sahib further writes that the surface was levelled and cleared of trees, after which the construction of Masjid al-Nabwi began. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, supplicated to Allah and laid the foundation stone himself. And just as in the construction of the mosque at Quba, the companions worked as builders and labourers. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would also participate at times. And occasionally, while lifting bricks, the companions would recite the following couplet of Abdullah bin Rawaha, that is, Hazal himalo la himala khaybara, haza abarro rabbana wa athar. Meaning, this burden is not the burden of Khaybar's commercial goods, which arrive loaded on the backs of animals. Rather, O our Lord, this is the burden of virtue and purity which we bear for your pleasure. At times, the companions would recite the following couplet of Abdullah bin Rawaha, that is, Allahumma inna al-ajra ajrul akhirah farhamil ansara wal muhajira. Meaning, O our Allah, true reward is merely that of the hereafter, and by your grace send down mercy upon the ansar and muhajireen. It is said that when the companions would recite this couplet, at times the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would also join in. And in this manner, after a long period of hard work, the mosque was completed and the structure of the mosque was made from slabs and bricks, which were assembled between wooden pillars. In those days, in order to build a solid structure, they would make columns from wood and in between that they would place bricks and mud in order to strengthen it. 
Similarly, the roof was covered by trunks and branches of date palms and the trunks of date palms were placed inside the mosque to support the roof. And until the building of a pulpit was proposed, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would lean upon one of these trunks when delivering his sermon. The floor of the mosque was unpaved and since the roof would leak after heavy rainfall, the floor of the mosque would become muddy. As such, in light of this difficulty, later on a floor of gravel was paved. Initially, the direction of the mosque was towards Betul Maqdas, but after the alteration of the Qibla, this orientation was changed. At that time, the height of the mosque was 10 feet, and the length was 105 feet, and the width was 90 feet. Later on, however, this was extended. And this area of 105 feet by 90 feet can accommodate approximately 15 to 1600 worshippers. To one corner of the mosque, a veranda was built, which was referred to as a sufa. This was for those destitute muhajireen who were homeless. These people would stay here and were known as the Ashab al-Sufa. As such, they would remain in the company of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, day and night, perform worship and recite the Holy Qur'an. These people possessed no means of permanent subsistence and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would take care of them personally. And whenever the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would receive a gift, or if there was anything available at home, he would especially separate their share. As a matter of fact, at times the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would himself starve and send whatever was in his home to the Ashab al-Sufa. The Ansar, i.e. the inhabitants of Medina, would also remain engaged in their hospitality in as much as possible and would often attach clusters of dates within the mosque. However, despite all this, they lived in a state of adversity and would often reach a state of starvation. And this continued until some found work due to the expansion of Medina and others began receiving support from the national Baytul Mal. Or even the overall condition of the Muslims improved, they also began to receive support. Then a place of residence was constructed for the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, adjacent to the mosque. His home was a small chamber of merely 10 to 15 feet. A single entrance led from this chamber to the mosque, from which the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would enter the mosque to lead the, the prayers. And when the number of his wives increased, additional living quarters were also built for the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, alongside the first. The homes of various other companions were also built in close proximity of the mosque. This was Masjid al-Nabwi, which was constructed in Medina. In that era, since there was no other public building where tasks of national importance could be performed, the mosque also served as the headquarters of administration. It was here that the assembly of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would take place. It was here that all types of consultation took place. 
Legal verdicts were passed from here. It was from here that injunctions would be issued forth. And this was also the official guest house. In short, it served as a centre of any task of national importance. And if required, it would also be used as a confinement for prisoners as well. And there were many prisoners who when they saw the Muslims worship and their mutual love and respect, many of them converted to Islam. Nonetheless, in this regard, even Sir William Yeo, who is an Orientalist, has written the same. And he has written many things against Islam and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. However, regarding the mosque, Sir William Muir writes, But though rude in material and comparatively insignificant in dimension, the mosque of Muhammad is glorious in the history of Islam. Here the Prophet and his companions spent the greater portion of their time. Here the daily service, with its oft-recurring prayers, was first publicly established. Here the great congregation assembled every week and trembled often while they listened to the orations of the Prophet and his messages from heaven. Here he planned victories. From this spot he sent forth convoys to kings and emperors with summons to embrace Islam. Here he received embassies of contrite and believing tribes and from hence issued commands which carried consternation amongst the rebellious to the very outskirts of the peninsula. Hard by, in the room of Aisha, he passed away and there he lies buried alongside his two caliphs. This mosque and its adjoining chambers were constructed in a period of seven months more or less. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, took up residence in his new home along with his wife Hazrat Soda radiallahu ta'ala anha. Various other muhajireen also acquired land from the Ansar and built homes in close proximity of the mosque. And those who could not obtain land near the mosque constructed their homes at a distance from the mosque. Others were fortunate enough to procure pre-constructed houses from the Ansar. In any case, Hazrat Suhail and his brother had the good fortune of offering their land for this great centre of Islam. The next companion is Hazrat Saad bin Khesma, who belonged to the Aus tribe. His mother's name was Hind bin Aus. The Badri companion Abu Zia Numan bin Sabit was his half-brother from his mother's side. He was known by the titles Abu Khesma and Abu Abdullah. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, established a bond of brotherhood, i.e. Muakhat, between Hazrat Saad bin Khesma and Hazrat Abu Salma bin Abdul Asad. Hazrat Saad was one of the twelve chiefs appointed to supervise the Muslims of Medina during the second pledge at Aqaba. And with regards to how the twelve chiefs were chosen and the details about the incident and also their names, in relation to this, Hazrat Mizza Bashir Ahmad Sahib has written the following in Sirat Khatamun Nabiyin. 
Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib writes The following year, that is, Zul Hijjah of 13 Nabwi, on the occasion of Hajj, many hundreds of people from the Aus and the Khazraj came to Mecca. Among them, there were 70 such people who had either become Muslim or now desired to become Muslims and came to Mecca in order to meet the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Musa bin Umair was also among them. Musa's mother was alive, and although she was an idolatress, she loved him very much. When she was informed of his coming, she sent word that first come and meet me, then go elsewhere. However, Musa responded that I have not yet met the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and I shall come to you once I have met him. Therefore, he presented himself before the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, first, and briefed him on key issues, and then visited his mother. She was very upset, and when she saw him, she began to weep and complain. Mossab said, Mother, I tell you something wonderful, which is very beneficial for you, and should put an end to every disagreement. She inquired, What is that? Mossab quietly responded, This, that you forsake idol worship, and become a Muslim, and believe in the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Since she was a firm idolatress, and as soon as she heard this, she began to put up a commotion, saying, I swear by the stars that I shall never enter your religion, and signalled her relatives to capture Mossab, but he escaped. However, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had been informed of the arrival of the Ansar by Mossab, and a few of them had also met the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, personally. On this occasion, since a collective and private meeting was necessary, therefore after the rites of Hajj, the middle dates of the month of Zul Hijjah were set for this purpose. On that day, near the middle of the night, all these people were to come and meet the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, in the same valley as last year, so that a private meeting could be held in peace and complete attention. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, ordered the Ansar that do not come as a group, but arrive in pairs of one or two to the valley at the appointed time, in case that they attract the attention of the enemy. He also said that do not wake the sleeping, and do not wait for the absent. Therefore, when the appointed date arrived, during the night when about a third of the night had passed, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, left his home. He took his uncle Abbas along with him, who was still an idolater, but loved the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and was a chief of the Hashim dynasty. Both of them reached this valley, and it was not long before the Ansar began to arrive in pairs of one and two. These were seventy souls from the Aus and the Khazraj tribe. In the very beginning, Abbas, who had not yet accepted Islam, began the discourse saying that O party of the Khazraj, Muhammad wasallam, is revered and beloved within his dynasty. To this day his dynasty has always remained responsible for his protection and in times of danger has always come forward. But now Muhammad wasallam, intends to leave his homeland and reside with you. As such, if you wish to take him, you must protect him in every way and will have to face every enemy. If you are prepared for this, then well and good. Otherwise give a forthright answer, for true speech is good.
Bara bin Marur, an aged influential man from the tribe of the Ansar, said, Abbas, we have heard your address, but we would like to hear the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, from his own blessed tongue, that he may expound the responsibility which he wishes to put upon us. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, recited a few verses from the Holy Quran and described the teachings of Islam in a brief address. And whilst alluding to Hakukullah and Hakukul Ibad, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, With regards to myself, all I desire is that just as you protect your dear ones and your kindred, if need be, you deal with me in the same manner. When the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had completed his address, as per the custom of Arabia, Bara bin Marur took the hand of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, into his own, and said, O Messenger of Allah, we swear by the God who has sent you with truth, that we shall protect you with our lives, for we have been raised under the shadows of swords. And he had not yet completed his statement, when Abu Haysam bin Tayhan who was among those who accepted Islam and was also sat there, interjected and said, that, O Messenger of Allah, we have had long relations with the Jews, and by supporting you, they shall be severed. May it not happen that when Allah grants you victory, you leave us and return to your homeland, and we are left with nothing. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, laughed and said that this shall certainly not happen, for your blood shall be mine, and your friends shall be my friends, and your enemies shall be my enemies. Upon this, Abbas bin Ubadah Ansari looked to his companions and said, O people, do you understand the purpose of this treaty and pledge? This means that you should now prepare yourselves to confront everyone, no matter who they may be, and should be ready to offer any sacrifice. This means that you should now prepare yourselves to face every opponent of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and be ready to offer every kind of sacrifice. Upon this they replied, that yes we understand, but O Messenger of Allah, what shall we receive in exchange for this? In other words, what will we receive after doing all of this? The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, replied, that you will receive the paradise of God, which is the greatest of all his rewards. Upon this they all said that we agree to this bargain. O Messenger of Allah, extend your hand. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, brought forth his blessed hand, and this group of seventy devotees were sold at the hand of the Holy Prophet in a defensive pack. And the name of this bath is the second bath at Aqba. When the bath had taken place, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, that Moses salam, appointed twelve chiefs among his people who served as their supervisors and protectors. Similarly, I also wish to appoint twelve chiefs from among you who shall be your supervisors and your protectors. They shall be like the disciples of Jesus salam, unto me and they shall be answerable to me regarding the people. As such, propose the names of worthy men before me. Therefore, twelve men were proposed who the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, approved, and appointing each as a supervisor to one tribe, he explained to them their duties. For some tribes, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, appointed two chiefs. In any case, the names of these twelve chiefs are as follows. 
اسد بن زرارہ اسید بن الحدیر ابو الحیثم مالک بن تیہان سعد بن عبادہ برا بن مرور عبداللہ بن رواحہ عبادہ بن سامت سعد بن ربی رافع بن مالک عبداللہ بن امر and Saad bin Khasma, who is the companion whose account is being narrated. He was also appointed as one of the chiefs. And the last one was Munzir bin Amr. During the migration to Medina, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, resided at the house of Hazrat Qusum bin Al-Hidam in Quba. It is also narrated that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stayed at the house of Hazrat Saad bin Khasma. Likewise, it is narrated that although the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stayed at the house of Qusum bin Al-Hidam, but when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, left the house to go sit amongst the people, it was at the house of Hazrat Saad bin Khasma. After the first bath at Aqba, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, sent Hazrat Musa bin Umar for the moral and spiritual training of Medina's new converts. Shortly after, Musa sought permission from the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, to lead their own Friday prayers. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, granted him permission and guided him on the matter. Accordingly, the first Friday prayer offered in Medina under these guidelines was at the house of Hazrat Saad bin Khasma, and the reference for this narration is from Tabqatul Kubra. Hazrat Saad bin Khasma owned a well in Kuba which was called Al Ghars. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would regularly drink from that well and had said regarding the well that this is from the fountains of paradise and its water is excellent, meaning it's palatably sweet and cool. And upon the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him's demise, it was from this well's water that his body was washed. Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu narrates that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had said, Upon my demise, take seven buckets of water from the well of Ghars to wash my body. Abu Jafar bin Muhammad Ali narrates that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him's body, was washed thrice. He was washed with the water and leaves of tamarisk with his upper garment still on, meaning that his shirt was not taken off. Hazrat Ali, Hazrat Abbas and Hazrat Fazl radiallahu anhum washed the body of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, after his demise. And according to another narration, Hazrat Usama bin Zaid, Hazrat Shukran and Hazrat Aus bin Khawali radiyallahu anhum also took part in the washing of the Holy Prophet's body. For many Muslim migrants who were escaping the persecution of the Meccan Quraysh and upon reaching Medina, the first place of arrival would often be Hazrat Saad bin Khasma's house. That is, all who would freshly arrive after migration would temporarily rest at his house. Some of the known names of those people are as follows Hazrat Hamza, Hazrat Zaid bin Harsa, Hazrat Abu Kabsha, who was a slave freed by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, Hazrat Abdullah bin Masood, and many others. When these companions migrated, upon reaching Medina, they stayed at the house of Hazrat Saad bin Khasma. Suleiman bin Abban narrates that when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, set out for the Battle of Badr, both Hazrat Saad bin Khasma and his father made intent of setting out with him. When it was brought to the attention of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that both father and son from a single household are setting out together, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, instructed 
that only one shall set out, and to decide who goes, they should cast lots. Hazrat Khasimah told his son Saad, As only one of us can go for battle, I advise you to stay at home with the women and to protect and guard them. Hazrat Saad replied, Had this been a matter related to something other than paradise, I would surely have given precedence to your request, but I myself am envious of martyrdom. Upon this they both casted lots which came in favour of Hazrat Saad. He thus set out for battle alongside the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and was martyred in the battle of Badr. He was martyred at the hands of Amr bin Abdewud, while according to another narration, it was by Taymah bin Adi. Hazrat Hamza killed Taymah in the battle of Badr, whereas Hazrat Ali killed Amr bin Abdewud in the battle of the Dej. According to one narration, Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu states that on the day of Badr, when the sun had fully appeared, the Muslim and Meccan armies clashed, meaning that the battle had begun. He says, I went in pursuit of a person and saw the Saad bin Khasma fighting an idolater atop a sand dune. And the idolater martyred Hazrat Saad radiallahu anhu. The idolater was on horseback and was wearing a chain armor. He then got off the horse for he had recognized me, but I had not recognized him yet. He invited me to engage in a battle with him, and I responded by pursuing him. As he came forward to attack me, I evaded his line of attack, because he was coming from atop, and this was disadvantageous to me. This was a technique in battle, and so Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu states that I couldn't afford him attacking me from above. And when I was stepping aside for this reason, the idolater shouted, that, O son of Abu Talib, are you running away? And so I responded, that it is impossible for the son of Ishtara to run away, meaning that he could never run away. The term Ishtara had become proverbial among the Arabs, and they say that history relates an incident of a thief who would come to steal from people, and when they attacked him, he would run away. However, his running away was only temporary, for he would strike again at the first opportunity. Thus, this gained fame as a proverb among the Arabs. In other words, you evade the enemy as a strategy to attack again. Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu further states that when I planted my feet to fight, he approached me and attacked me with his sword which I blocked with my shield and I swung my own sword at his shoulder with such force that it penetrated his armour, and I was convinced that my sword would bring about his end when I noticed the silver glimmer of blade in my periphery. Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu further states, I was about to attack a second time, but immediately lowered my head when I noticed another blade coming towards me from behind. The second blade missed me, and hit my opponent with such force that his head altogether became severed from his body along with its helmet. Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu states, When I turned around to look, it was Hazrat Hamza radiallahu anhu saying, Take this, I am the son of Abdul Mutlib. And from this narration of Hazrat Ali radiallahu anhu, it seems that Taima bin Adi martyred Hazrat Saad radiallahu anhu and then was killed there as well. According to another narration, during the Battle of Badr, 
The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had two horses. On one of the horses, Hazrat Musa bin Umar was sat, and on the other was Hazrat Saad bin Khazma. Hazrat Zubair bin Awam and Hazrat Miqdad bin Aswad also took turns to sit on them. There are various narrations in the accounts of history in relation to the number of horses the Muslims had during the Battle of Badr. According to Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad Sahib anhu, during the Battle of Badr, the Muslims had 70 camels and two horses. However, other historical sources cite the number of horses as three and five as well. But irrespective of the amount of provisions and the number of horses and the camels the Muslims had, it was incomparable to the provisions and number of horses which were in the possession of the enemy. However, when the Muslims were attacked and the Muslims were compelled into engaging into a battle, the non-believers came with the intention to completely obliterate Islam. At that moment, the Muslims did not look at their provisions and horses. In fact, they had a fervent passion to offer sacrifice in the way of Allah the Almighty, as is evident from their response. They did not have any worldly desire at all. Rather, it was simply the desire to offer their lives for the sake of Allah the Almighty. And it was for this reason that the son said to his father that he cannot give him precedence. In any case, it was the heartfelt passion to offer a sacrifice which God Almighty accepted and granted them victory. May God Almighty continue to elevate the station of the companions. Thank you.